Welcome back, everyone. Doug Flutie here with the Flutie Flakes cast. And uh, just getting past the draft, and each year at draft, I just kind of shake my head, and I, I wonder what uh, everyone's thinking with their franchise quarterback. Everyone thinks they're going to get their franchise quarterback this draft. Also, we're going to touch on the uh, Aaron Rodgers saga in a little bit. Um, I think looking at the, at the draft in general, one, two, three quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence at Jackson, Jacksonville is a can't miss situation. I think he's going to do real well. Urban Meyer taking over, obviously there as head coach, uh, Tra- Travis ATM gets drafted. So he's got a little comfort zone and a guy that out of the backfield catches the ball extremely well, runs routes like a wide receiver. Uh, and I've thought since day one that I saw Trevor Lawrence step on the field. He not only has all the tools, he's tough uh, physically. I go back. It's so tough to keep everything straight in your mind of all his college football playoff games because he's been in it every year. Uh, But he was playing against Ohio State. They were getting the tar kicked out of him physically. He got beat up. And then he, 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 in the game changing play, is a 65 yard run for a touchdown. So he has the ability to do it all. And I think he'll be successful. Zach Wilson going to the Jets. I don't know. Everybody seems to go to the Jets to get beat up and and struggle. And uh, I have always said this about football. It's the one sport you need everything in place to be successful. And I just, I know he's got all the tools. I know he's an athletic kid. Um, He can throw the ball from every arm angle and does all that. But it's, it's always an uphill battle when you go to New York and you're dealing with the, with the fans, New York media, and a lot of things come into play there. Talking about taking a kid from BYU, putting them in the big city, and trying to fill some big shoes uh, in New York City. Uh, looking at the third pick in Trey Lance. Trey Lance now, San Francisco traded up and gave away the farm to get Mac Jones. They get to the spot, and now they start reevaluating everyone and just get enamored with the athleticism of Trey Lance. And I, I, he may be a world beater. But as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't played Division I competition. He played only 17 games. He sat out last year, basically, not playing. So it, it's this is the riskiest draft of all of them, or the riskiest pick. And whether or not he – it may all work out, and hopefully everything falls in place for him. But that one, I think, is the biggest variable. Uh, Chicago trades up. Now Mac Jones is sliding in the draft. Chicago trades up. They take Justin Fields. Now Justin Fields – I love his competitiveness. I love the way he played all his all of his career. Uh, a small sample of last year, six games or so, shortened schedule and all that. But he struggled against Indiana. He struggled against Northwestern. There were some ups and downs. So you're sitting there. Is this guy going to be consistent? And I think the telling tale was in the college football playoffs where he got injured, took a shot, I broke ribs, came back in the game to throw the fourth down touchdown pass, stayed in the game, led his team back, and wins the game. And I think it just showed it showed an element, an intangible that is hard to measure on a practice field. It's hard to measure in the weight room or with a stopwatch and all that. Uh, he, he's got the athleticism. He has the arm strength. He has everything, all the tools. And that element uh, of toughness, I think, will go a long way for him. He's going to need it in Chicago. Chicago is a tough place for a quarterback. I don't know if it's because it's the windy city and the ball's blowing all over the place and it's tough to throw the ball in that stadium or what, but uh, it's been a while since they've had success at the quarterback position. Um, I'm excited to see what happens there. That, that to me is uh, not as long a shot as the Trey Lance situation, but um, I, I'm just very curious to see how that plays out. I think because of his competitiveness and his overall skill level, he'll have success. Now I dropped down to Mac Jones. Mac Jones being a 15th pick for the Patriots fell in their lap. They thought in order to get Mac Jones, the Patriots were talking about trading up. What were they going to have to do? What were they going to get that type of pick? And if he wasn't available, I don't think they pick a quarterback. I think they go a different direction to start talking about trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but it works out. Mac Jones is available. I think Mac is everything that the Patriots want in a quarterback. I think he's a guy that puts you in the right play. Puts you in the right pass protection. He's smart. I think he'll be game ready day one. Now, they do have Cam Newton. They realize they can win games with Cam. It's going to be a different ball. I, I honestly believe they're going to make the push to try to get Mac Jones on the field as quickly as possible. Uh, they can't live with not being able to throw the ball and getting in the end zone. They couldn't, last year could not throw the ball up the field. 
I love the way Cam Newton plays, how hard he plays, how intense he is. And he said all the right things this year while struggling through a tough year. But I don't think they can be an explosive team with Cam Newton, the quarterback, and they need Mac Jones to come along quickly. And I believe he will. I think he's a cerebral guy, throws the ball extremely well. He was very accurate last year, set the world on fire, obviously at Alabama. I, it was funny to hear Belichick talk about how anybody can go undefeated at Alabama quarterback, just hand the ball. The ball. No, I think it's the other way around. I think you go to Alabama and the expectation is so high. There's a lot of pressure on you to go undefeated. And he still did it and did it in a big way. Now he had big time receivers. He had a lot of talent around them, but I think Mac Jones works out with new England. Now the story of the week, Aaron Rodgers uh, being frustrated in green Bay. Top draft this year was a corner, number one. Last year, it was a backup quarterback in Jordan Love, which obviously started all this with Aaron and frustrates him so much that he wants to be traded. I, I, first of all, I can't relate to that. I was never in a situation where I was secure enough in my position where I knew I could just go somewhere else and be the starter and take over and be that guy. Maybe my years in Canada, I had that kind of clout, but it, it just never entered my mind. Earlier this offseason, it was Russell Wilson, but that was more from his agent than Russell himself. Um, but for Aaron to step up and say and show his frustration, maybe it's taking the ball out of his hands down on the, the goal line situation, kicking the field goal and not getting the ball back and losing your playoff game um, instead of putting it in your MVP, pro bowler, potential Hall of Famer uh, quarterback's hands. It's a very frustrating situation last year for him. And to see this, I, you know, I, I saw an interview with Matt LaFleur where Matt's like, I can't imagine being without him. I can't imagine this team being without Aaron Rodgers. He's our guy. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him there. I don't think you just bend over and, and, and say, hey, go uh, and, and trade and move on. I think as time goes by, you start working together and make it work out. Now, Aaron Rodgers is at a point in his career where See, I would say from a management standpoint, my, I just play the hard line and say, no, you're under contract. You're here. You're mine. Stay here. But he does have the clout to just walk away from the game financially. I, I don't understand why even a Tom Brady, the guys that are making the money they've made for as long as they have that are at this point in their career and have nothing left to prove, uh, continue to do it and what their motivation is. But he's in a position to walk away from the game. And if that were to happen, you know, we all heard about the Jeopardy thing and it, it went very well for him. And maybe that's a future for him. Maybe he wants to be in California and get out to San Francisco or get out to L.A. or something and, and be a West Coast guy. There's talk of the Raiders, uh, also talk of potentially Denver's being a good landing spot if he were to get traded. Uh, maybe that's his future and he, he realizes it. And maybe he doesn't need football anymore. Um, but. If you, it's, it's, let's go along the lines that they are going to trade, that, that he, he's unhappy enough that the trade is going to happen. Um, right now is the time period where conversations would have to be done to say, hey, can we talk with Aaron and try to entice him or recruit him to our place? June 1st would, would probably be the beginning of the potential real trade talks because if they hold on to Aaron past June 1st, they'll save $16 million towards the cap. So nothing will happen till after June 1st. If something were to happen, maybe between now and then Green Bay can, can schmooze it over and everything will work out. I just can't imagine um, letting a guy like Aaron Rodgers get away, take the risk of him walking away from game, in which case he, your, your security blanket was Jordan Love's last year as your draft choice and you'd have to live and die with it. And I don't, I don't know how happy or how close Green Bay is to saying you're our guy. But uh, going into this year without an Aaron Rodgers at quarterback would be a huge change, very significant for Green Bay. And I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him. Um, I, I just, like I said, I, I can't imagine walking away from the game um, or walking away, being able to put yourself in a situation where you can say to a team and give them the ultimatum that I'm, I want to be traded. And then in Aaron Rodgers' situation, yes, he is in a position where he could walk away from the game. And that's the risk factor that Green Bay is dealing with right now. Do we risk him walking away from the game where we, we start talking trade and try to make a deal? Very interesting situation. Uh, still, he's playing at an unbelievable level, an MVP level, and can get them to a Super Bowl if he stays in Green Bay.
Well, coming up, I have a longtime friend and the voice of ESPN and the voice of uh, NFL Blitz and Sports Center, Chris Berman. I uh, love Chris, been friends for a long, long time. Uh, have a conversation coming up with Chris, as well as Eddie George, Heisman Trophy winner and new head coach of the Tennessee State Tigers down by Nashville. College football, Eddie George. I'd like to welcome Chris Berman to the show. Boomer, uh, 79, you came out, ESPN, the whole sports center, the Monday Night Countdown, U.S. Open, golf, Stanley Cup finals, MLB, home run derby, uh, back, 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 back. You know, the, the, but the number one thing is the Travelers every year and the Travelers Pro-Am. That's got to be number one on the list, right? It is, It is, Doug. You and I are a formidable <laughs> team. We've, um, we've run through our share of pros and... Even Ray Allen, we threw him off his like, two-hand <laughs> game. You and I have quite an effect on everybody there. Yeah, we've brought many good golf games down to our level. It's it's easy to do, but we're, yeah, but we're we've we're, met a lot of people. We hit the ball. We hit the ball under the spectators' seats. We make new friends. They love us. You know, I have played it off the gallery onto the green before, though. That's so you know, we got that going for us. So how you been? What you doing? What's going on? What's new in Chris Berman's life? Well, no, no. I'm, I mean, semi-retirement's a good thing. I uh, don't know when this runs. I'll be all of 66 on May 10th, which is an eye-opener. What that is is two-thirds of the way to a full century, you know? Um, <laughs> there's no other way to look at it. Um, you know, I uh, do my football on Sunday with the prime time on ESPN Plus and do the fastest three minutes for Monday and do some other things. But now, even because we're just still coming out of pandemic, Doug, as far as work wise, what people would see, I, I might have a few things to do in most springs, but this is still not quite yet the normal spring. So, you know, the first time people will see me other than our hitting the ball under chairs at, at pro-ams is at least on air is it's August, probably the, the pro football hall of fame where, you know, 28 people are going into the hall of fame. So that'll be longer than the draft that I used to host. I did 35 of them. You know, I just don't do it anymore, but I, I thought 35 gets me a, um, a purple heart, doesn't it? Getting through the draft, no doubt. How about this year's draft? What, what was your takeaway from it with all the quarterbacks going up top and who got a steal and who didn't? Or uh, what's your favorite draft? Well, you know, I, I Doug, I don't know. The, I, when I used to host the draft the first three rounds, I knew really through five rounds the players. I, I, I don't know what I used to know. So I just am starting to look at whole team's drafts. But look, the quarterbacks, you know, and I know you root for them, whether they're six, six or four foot six. And you were in the middle of that. Um, <laughs> um, you'd like to think all five of them will be home runs or triples. They never are. Now, that that sounds like, you know, that's a voice of doom. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to see how Trevor Lawrence and the space they're going to give him in Jacksonville with a coach that really comes from uh, you know, college, Urban Meyer. I mean, and they're starting at one and 15. So it's just like until Joe Burrow got hurt, like, whoa, he's good with the Bengals. So then, you know, did the 49ers do the well, did the Jets do the right thing? I, I, you know, we sure hope so. Uh, I actually liked Sam Darnold. They never gave him any help, but that's another discussion. So Zach Wilson. He makes throws off balance. There aren't many like that. Um, BYU to New York, interesting. <laughs> um, right? Is, That's is that one of the biggest issues in New York? You think some of the, the guys in handling New York and the pressure? Or is it yeah. the Jets organization? Is it the Jets or is it the, the, the platform they're on? It's more the Jets. And look, I grew up going to Shea Stadium. So I, I say that with love. I watched. I was in eighth grade when Namath won the Super Bowl, okay? And I went, we had season tickets. So I say this with my heart. But but the New York, think of people that didn't succeed with the New York Yankees, to put it, to answer your question. Yeah. Really? Like, they're really good players. Some had no shot 
Some embraced it. So, yes, New York is a real deal. But who's to say, oh, he's from BYU or the West? No, he could be fine. So now did the 49ers do the right thing with, with, with Lance as opposed to Jones? I think so. But, again, North Dakota State, that's why the draft is the ultimate crapshoot. And of course, the Mac Jones, I mean, jumping to the Patriots, it sounds like Bill got, by not moving, got, he wasn't expecting maybe him to be there. Um, what I, let me sidetrack a little. There are four teams, which I found interesting, by the middle of the second round that had the quarterback and were reuniting him with a receiver or a running back. Like here's ETN. You're going with Trevor Lawrence at Jacksonville. Here's a couple of the Alabama receivers going with with Hertz at you know Philadelphia. Here's here's um, LSU, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati. They get their receivers. So the two out there four. I I can't remember this in a draft. Can you like give me my receiver and I'll be really good? I, I find that interesting. I think it well. There's a lot to it, you know the uh, the trust factor and knowing each other and body language and even having a pal on the team to some extent. And I, I Travis Etienne, I'll tell you, I covered them a couple of times. He runs routes like a wide receiver out of the backfield. He is a dynamic third down type back as well as a great ball carrier. So there are guys. It's nice to have that crutch and that guy that you can lean on and, and all that. I, I well, really thought I thought it was fascinating, though. The, the number one thing that I thought was fascinating out of draft was that Mac Jones was still available for the Patriots, and he was actually the guy that they wanted. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. I mean, and, and Cam will play this year, but um, but ATN is kind of like Edwards Elaire. I don't know that they're exactly the same. You would know more than me, but we saw what a great player he was as a rookie for the chiefs. And now he's, so let's see if they use him like that. We didn't say a team you played for the bears, hoping to get it right with fields. Funny. I, 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 I don't follow the college game, but I was an assistant coach for UMass. Okay. Okay. A couple of years ago for coach Whipple, when he was there, he was our quarterback at Brown. and. This is my first couple of years out of ESPN. He told me, you know, UMass plays like several SEC schools, knowing it's no shot, except they actually hang in a lot. Um, he goes, you've never been to a big-time stadium growing up in Connecticut, right? Not other than a full Yale Bowl when I was young? No. He goes, why don't you accompany us? They played Tennessee one year, almost beat them, by the way. But my point is, <laughs> they played Georgia. Like a couple years ago in November. So Georgia wasn't looking past. This was, you can't stumble now. So Fields was the, who they have, From was the starter. And Fields came in midway through the third quarter because they had the ball 10 times. They scored 10 times. Mm -hmm. Once we held them to a field goal, the other were touchdowns. So, um, uh, by the way, UMass got, close to 30 points so it was okay but i thought fields looked better than from just standing on the sidelines what do i know and then well, now here he is on to ohio state and now a first round pick i so i saw him as a freshman i went i really he's pretty good so look did the bears get it did the 49ers do it right did the jets get it we think jacksonville did it did new england do it if three of the five are real hits, that'll be a successful draft. See, that's what's amazing is every year there's going to just pre-draft. There's going to be six, seven Hall of Fame quarterbacks coming out this year. This guy's our savior. This guy's our savior. You know, and I'm like, how many times is that? Once one out of every five ends up being your your guy for a period of time. You know, and. I think the biggest risk was the Trey Lance move because San Francisco traded so much away to get to that spot because they were thinking Mac Jones. Then after evaluation of all the quarterbacks, they settle on Trey Lance, a guy that, like you said, 17 games at a one double A level or you know, FBS or FCS level. So and the Justin Fields thing, 
I love Justin. I love his abilities and all the things. He was a little inconsistent. He had a couple of Big Ten games that were kind of, you, you shook your head at, you know, who was that guy? You know, he had two bad games. But then when he got banged up in the college football playoff, Mm. And showed showed his gut mm. and his grit came out. I think that went a I think that went a long way. So there are some question marks in those two situations. And the other guys seem like sure things, but there's no such thing as a sure thing. The one sure thing is Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a Pro Bowl quarterback, is an MVP type quarterback. What the heck is going on with Aaron Rodgers? Well. Other than he enjoyed his week on Jeopardy, um, apparently, <laughs> and he did great. Um, I I'm, I have no insight other than what you and I read. I know Aaron. Yeah. I know you do too. I, I you know, he, I, he. I, apparently, this could have been the news that Adam Schefter broke. Could have come in February after. They lost the championship game and the ball was taken out of his hands, although that's not the reason. Mm -hmm. Like, it was festering. You know all the background. But I don't know. But, look, I hate calling somebody um, a Hall of Famer while they're still playing until they're – especially with Aaron, who – forget this for a minute. You'd figure if he wanted to play five or so more years, he would have it, right, Doug? I mean, he's in great shape and athletic and – gets out of stuff and, and, and knows what the hell he's doing. And, and um, um, he's a Hall of Famer. Right? He's more than a Pro Bowl. He's a Hall of Famer. There's just, and, and I defer to you, an NFL and CFL and, you know, Heisman quarterback. Um, there are very few, and you don't need me to tell you this, think of who can make throw Aaron, Mahomes, and Russell Wilson to a different degree of did he just throw that the other way? Like I'm I'm not comparing Marina, any of these with the unbelievable arms, those type of throws where your shoulders should have popped out throwing it. <laughs> right? Those three yeah. guys, don't you go wow still? I still do. I mean Aaron Rodgers type of guy that I think of him like a Tom Brady as far as the mechanics of running your offense and knowing everything and reads and progressions. But he adds that element of mobility and the ability to throw from different angles and on the move. And he, shoot, he made, he made the Hail Mary obsolete. It's like, it's, it's, it's just another play, right? You know, he'll complete one every other week, but how about the idea that that players trying to dictate the direction they're going when they're under contract, you know, the NBA, we see it a lot. You know, we see guys try to dictate, um, I think more than anything, that's what bothers me about the situation. And I, I don't because ex- look, Russell Wilson flirted with the idea of leaving Seattle and saying, hey, I want to be traded or these would be the team. Not that he demanded anything and nothing came of it. But this seems a little different, like like because of maybe it, maybe it had to do with taking the ball out of his hands down by the goal line and kicking the field goal last year. It has to do with maybe the Jordan Love draft choice last year. But what do you think more of? trying to push a direction for the, for yourself. Well, here's the thing. The NBA is a different animal, as you know. Um, that's there to stay. I mean, what's to stay? I don't mean 20 years from now, they're all going to be moving. But I think football, Doug, but Aaron falls in just about the Tom Brady. Look, it worked for Tom. Unique circumstance, over 40, et cetera. We all know the story. I think these are isolated. I don't, you know, football is played by, I mean, basketball is five players. I know that, you know, but a left tackle, even if he's Anthony Munoz to date ourselves, but there's nobody ever better. You know, these are, Aaron Rodgers is next to Tom Brady. And look, my seniority speaks for itself. Russell Wilson was more the agent. I never heard it out of Russell's mouth. I'm a little closer to the Seahawks there. I'm not saying he didn't. There aren't things, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that's as it will play out as real as it was meant to seem. So I think these are isolated because if it's not the quarterback, I I don't know that you're going to get the best wide receiver, Julio Jones, just to name a name, or Megatron, who's going into the Hall of Fame this summer. Five, six years ago, like I just, I'm done. 
Could he have five years ago go, no, you trade me to a contender or I'm done? Maybe that's it's just it's isolated in football. I don't think this will be a a trend of more than one a year, if that. I, but Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, their seniority and ability in a class by themselves, and I think you agree. And and Russell hasn't been around as long as either of them, so not quite yet. Yeah, my go-to there is that in basketball one or two guys can win you a championship in baseball, yeah. you know, and, and you as a superstar can go to any team in basketball and still get your 30 points a game in baseball. You can still hit 300 and hit 40 home run in football. You need everything in place to be successful. You need wide receiver. You need an O-line. You need a quarterback. You know, obviously you need the quarterback, the trigger man, but it, it's a little different scenario. That's fast. Actually it's rewind. You know, we, I've, we've, I've talked about it a hundred times. I had these two bookend moments in my career. I had the, Hail Mary, I had the drop kick at the end of my career. The drop kick would never have happened without Chris Berman. And Chris, why and what did you see that initiated this and made it happen? Well, I love that we're going to tell the story almost chronologically because about where I end almost is about where you begin. So, <laughs> so well, look, you and I have been friends a long time, obviously, New England. And I mean, you know, growing up, Massachusetts, Connecticut, et cetera. And we're close enough in age. You're still a baby. But you know what I'm saying? Um, and um, and I followed you in Canada, rooted for you, et cetera. So now you're at Buffalo. And that's when we interacted because I go up to visit the team every now and then the Bills. You guys were good. and could have gone a little farther, but we, we could, that's a whole nother discussion. Another time we don't need to, to get to that. And, and you and I talked on the practice field. I, I think about the drop kick. I, I, I think we were just BSing in Buffalo. Buffalo and days. you go, you know, it's still legal in Canada and I didn't know all the rules, but you were, you were great. You went the application of it. You told me early in your career, you tell me if I'm wrong here, in Canada, you could have still like run and drop kicked it at any moment and they took it out. Like, what was that rule? And then I'll pick up my play. Yeah. In Canada, you were allowed to kick the ball from anywhere on the field at any time, even down across the downfield. So the idea there and what happens a lot in Canada is you'll hit a wide receiver the last play of a half and he'll punt the ball from there and get it out of the end zone for a single point before ah. the half ends. So I thought, hey, if you can do that on the fly, drop kick it through and get three. And, and that kind of initiated the thought process of, you know, there's, there's a spot here for it. And I've seen punters, uh, Morstead, Morstead, is it Morstead? Morstead, the Saints. I've seen him hit an 80-yarder. I, I still want to see him try one at the end of a half, like an 80-yard dropkick. But go ahead. So it, we, we figure out that there is a, a spot for it. Well, and I think it was eventually eliminated, Canada, but you were long in the NFL. So... You, but then you said, boy, I don't know if there's any application in the NFL. And I, it always stuck with me. And I'm a historian. You know that. I love, I majored in history at Brown, but not the, not the history of football. Brown doesn't have that course. But, uh, but I would have aced it. Um, uh, American history, uh, I, long papers. At any rate, um, now fast forward to 2005. And you're the backup in New England. And Bill Belichick. Uh, allowed me kind of to be as much on the inner circle as you could be media, but with friends and et cetera. And I was up in October at some point, at like a Thursday practice or something. And boom, after practice, come in the office, we'll BS, you know, whatever. I've got 20 minutes before I got to go to my next meeting and we'll talk. And then, and how's Doug? And I said, you know, because I know what a historian of the game Bill is, obviously. Yep. And you know this, but your listener viewers don't. I said, you know, Doug can drop kick. And his, he wasn't, you know, George Jefferson, but he was, um, <laughs> uh, but the antenna, like, it was a perk. He goes, he can? Or he, he goes, you think he still can? I went, well, we talked about it in Buffalo. I don't know that I ever saw him do it or whatever. He goes, well, let's go find out. Cause you guys was from practice. You guys were 
probably had a quarterback meeting in 20 minutes. So they, he had Burge go get you. Go, go get Doug. <laughs> and, and you didn't even know what you saw me at practice, but I'm sitting in the office and Doug, hi, coach. What's up? Like it was an innocent. <laughs> and uh, now I'll say it. And then you take it from here, although there's one little part I got left. But you go, uh, Doug, um, Boomer says you can drop kick. Can you? And your reaction, as I remember, was, oh, coach, I, I almost a shucks. I, I don't. I don't know. But he's went, well, why don't we try it at tomorrow's practice or something? Now, you take it from there. It's <laughs> oct- so we're mid-October at this point. Yeah, okay. I come in. I come in from practice. I'm walking through the hallway towards the locker room, and Burge grabs me. And says, hey, "Hey, Doug, coach wants to see you." Now, me, being as insecure as I am about my position, you know, I'm 43 years old. I'm a backup quarterback. I haven't done anything in New England. Um, I'm thinking, bring your playbook. You're done. Coach wants to see. <laughs> so I walk in, and he's sitting at the desk, and there's you, Chris Berman, Boomer, standing behind him. And my my recollection is you had this big big old smile on your face and your arms crossed and just kind of nodding that. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, coach, what's up? He goes, can you drop kick? I go, well, um, I can do it, but there's no really reason to do it. He goes, is it legal? And I'm like, I think it's, um, yeah, it's still legal, but, uh, he goes, well, work on it. We're going to practice it tomorrow. So that was kind of the gist of that conversation in that office. And I walk out shaking my head. I actually ran after meetings that day, grabbed the bag of balls, went up the field house, started trying to kick again. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, we start practicing. I kicked three balls in a practice. I hit a line drive off the upright to the left. I kicked the center in the ass with one and I kicked one through. (laughs) So, So Bill says, okay, well, it's something to work. And we forgot about it. We totally just huh. kind of put it on the back. We're going to do it on Monday night against the Jets on um, uh, Monday night football. But he put me in at the end of the game. We had the ball near midfield, got a first down or two, but didn't get in close enough. He wanted to do it as a field goal. Didn't even get close enough. But fast forward, uh, we, we had stopped talking about it two, three weeks. And it was the end of the Miami game. And I was just, number one, I was disappointed I didn't start the game because he started Castle. I wanted to find out what the kid could do. And I'm 43. I know this is my last regular season game. I got my parka on. I'm standing there freezing my tail off. And uh, with about five minutes ago, we're about to score. He just happens to see me and says, hey, Doug, we, we score here. You're kicking it. He didn't get the sentence out of his mouth. And we were in the end zone. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? And goes, yeah, go get it. And uh, no warm up, no nothing. I grabbed the ball out of an equipment guy's hands. I think I chip shot one into the stands and took off onto the field. Then we get out there and we do it. And um, the whole the whole conversation should kill me. Lonnie Paxson's our long snapper. And Lonnie's got Keith Trailer over him. And Trailer's like, why are you in the game? If Flutie's in here, you're going for two. And I'm going to kick your ass and da-da-da-da-da. So these kind of so the guys up front were trying to talk the, the Miami guys into not rushing. And uh, one of the wide receivers, uh, Bam Childress, was a uh, – uh, practice roster guy that got activated for the game. He's out there on Sam Madison. Sam Madison's like, you're running a slant, aren't you? Uh, no, you're running the fade. You're running. The, I'm not running the fade. Watch the slant. Watch the slant. No, no, no. Check this out. This is going to be cool. And then I get back. I shuffle back. They had called a timeout, so I figured they wasted that. I turned to go to the sideline. Sure enough, I think, okay, they at least wasted Brady, Brewski, Belichick, all the bees. They're waving me back out, like, go get it. And we line up, we kick it, and uh, it was it was funny. I mean, there was a lot of stories. I, I the, the the one thing that came I came to the sideline to give Bill a hug, and Tom came out for the high five. I drove ran right by Tom Brady on national TV and went to Bill for the hug, and it started the whole blowing Tom Brady off on high five things. <laughs> well, the one thing that Lonnie told me, and I'm sure you know it too, is that um, you, it was Keith Trailer who was the people forget large he wasn't quite ted washington but he was tractor trailer right so um and lonnie claims he said to him just relax and enjoy a little bit of history that's lonnie (laughs) told me that one now let me go back a little behind the scenes so now october you know i i was in the office and it's not like i called bill hey you're gonna do it i mean but we would talk every now and then and so it's November. I called Joe Horrigan, 
the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who just retired a year or two ago. But if there's anything that you need to find out, forget Google. Like, if he doesn't know it, he'll know it in two minutes, even if he knows what section in the basement in Canton he could look. You know what I mean? You want to, Joe's unbelievable. Um, And I said, I, I didn't say what. I said, Joe. You know, I camouflage it with how you doing, blah, 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 though. As the MC, it's November. I, I, I don't do my MC work till August. There's nothing for us to discuss, right? Except that we're friends from Buffalo. So about five minutes in, you got to camouflage. So, you know what, Joe? I just, I was like looking at some stuff. Do you know when the last drop kick was in the NFL? He goes, I don't. I said, wow, it's got to be the 50s or the 40s or the th- I mean, I have no idea. He goes, I'll get back to you. you know, the next day or something, he had it. It's in the championship game, 1941. Bears, Giants at the pole grounds, I want to say. But with, and it's not Patty Driscoll. It's if I see the name, I'll know it. I, I'm skip spaced. something you said. Skipper, skip, uh, uh, scooter, I, scooter something. Scooter, not McLean. Could have been Scooter McLean. That yeah. sounds right. That sounds right. Scooter I remember McClain. you saying it before. Scooter Matty McClain. Driscoll might have been the last field goal, but this was like an extra point in the championship game. Right as, you know, right after, right before Pearl Hart. I mean, you you get the timing of this. Time and, frame. And so he tells me. And I said, ah, thanks. I was just wondering. The next time I talked to Bill's like a week later, it's late November. Da, 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 da. By the way, Bill, I have something for you, historical. Uh, Scooter McLean, 1941. I, was it Bears or Giants? You know, I used to know all that, but whatever. He goes, that was the last dropkick. It was an extra point in the championship game. And he goes, thanks, Boomer. You know, typical Bill. Mm-hmm. It's not like he did a cartwheel. But <laughs> now, fast forward. You've done the kick. The game is over. It's the celebration. So we're watching, as we do on primetime, nine TVs, the one o'clock games. But I, the game was over, and I went, leave it up on the Patriots feed. I want to see the press conference, even though normally in the room you wouldn't hear. Turn the audio up, and Bill is up there. So I don't – you can't hear the questions from the media, Doug. And the first couple are, you know, did you like the way the, the – had nothing to do with that, with with this, and you hear, yeah, it was good. Uh, it was a good workout before the playoffs. I, I'm making up Bill's answer. Um, about the third or fourth, the question was obviously, do you know when the last drop kick? I, I couldn't hear it. Bill deadpan into the camera. Uh, 1941. Like he knew this, you know. And then the next question, and he gave me, he didn't have to. He went, well, where, obviously, where did this come? He goes, well, Chris Berman said he, he saw Doug do it in Canada, which is close to true. And we went from there. But then he went deadpan, 1941. 41. <laughs> but you know how Bill loves it. Bill loves his history, you know, with his dad and the, and the yep. option football in Navy and all that. So it was really a... It was a cool way for me to end my career. It was my last play. It was my last uh, hurrah. I had done nothing all year long. I just sat there, had the pom-poms out and cheered for Tom Brady all year long. And so thank you, Boomer. Thank you so wow. much for giving me a memorable moment for the last play. Well, my- that, that I sent a play in to Bill Belichick that you executed, two friends of mine. <laughs> I, that'll be my greatest play that I've ever given a coach. I've given a few. But not like this. You, you, it was perfect. Hey, you could have missed it. I mean, let's, oh, hey. let's not overlook the fact that this was not a one foot putt. No, this is, this is, and, and on that field, that field was a dirt. It, it was all dirt in the middle of the field. There were little clumps of grass and, and it was a mess. And the drop was, it was a crapshoot. I mean, it, it was a 50 50 shot. And my <laughs> wife's up in the stands and she's the only one. She's sitting around all these people, a couple of family members, but all these that have no idea what's going on. She goes, Oh my God, he's going to drop kick. And people are like, What? And she's a nervous wreck because she knows the chances of missing it. And she knows if I miss it, she's got to live with me the rest of her life. <laughs> and that's going to be miserable. So uh, appreciate that. And the other thing that you did for me, 
and did for the foundation was have a bowl of fluty flakes on national TV, which kickstarted the whole darn thing. We sold four and a half million boxes and made a couple of million towards the foundation. So thank you so much. You were well, Doug, I was hungry. You were. You're hungry. You're on set. Okay. A couple memorable moments on the golf course, Pebble Beach, right? You play in the Pro-Am there, right? I have. I didn't. Uh, well, this year there was. I've this been lucky year wasn't. to play 10, 11, 12 times. Just some of your most memorable moments at, at some of those events. Well, Pebble, I have one. Uh, the bad news is it's 16 years ago now, um, but um, it's quite a story. It's 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 it's. I don't know if it's drop kick, but in my golf world, as a 13, 14 handicapper, fifth, you know, it sure is. First of all, Pebble Beach is where God waits for tea time. Okay. <laughs> that in my book, there's nothing close. It's the history and there's the ocean. I, I, do I need to go farther? So um th- the first pro-am I was ever invited to was when I was turning 50. So it was 2005. And it was right after the Super Bowl, and um, which the Patriots won because of the 04 Super Bowl. And at any rate, and I'm, ner- I mean, nervous. Well, you're going to play with Jeff Sluman, a friend of mine who always plays well there. But and then at Pebble, and it take too long to tell it, but the people who are golfers will like you play with another pro and another amateur, but all three days. Pebble Beach one day, Spyglass one day, and then then it was Poppy Hills. And then you might make the cut, and then you play the final. Only 25 amateur pairs make it. So you're, I'm playing with you. Who are the other two? Who are the, Well, Scott Simpson, who won the U.S. Open, and I covered 30 of those, so I know all these guys. And who's his amateur partner? Is it some, you know, CEO? It's Bill Murray. What? <laughs> Not like bad, but. There's going to be 5,000 people on every swing for three days, which mm-hmm. there were. All right, so there's that, okay? And it took me like 10 holes the first day to even hit a good shot. Bill never made me a butt of jokes until I was hitting it well, well. And then then it was fine. But he knew he would. I would be toast. Yep. Hey, he used to go. No, it, it, until I... I swung and missed once. I mean, there's Poppy Hills, eighth hole, 2,000 people. Like, I've just come from the Super Bowl. I live in Connecticut. I haven't, I don't putt in the basement. I don't do anything. Now, Saturday, we're the Pebble Beach day. 65 degrees, sunny. We're one of the last groups coming up 18, right? And there's 10,000. 10,000, Doug. You know, you play in front of 80. I, I can't do the golf thing in front of people. Go ahead. Yeah, but I shouldn't either. But um, now we're at 18. And as it turns out, we're one shot off the cut. Of, we're minus eight. The Jeff has played great. Jeff's one of the – he's like eighth place, ninth. So he's playing great. He doesn't need me for much, you know. And occasional, if we both bogey a hole, I get a stroke. Okay, it's a par. It's you know what I mean. um, Now we're on 18, which is one of the most famous holes ever. You played it, I hope, right? Have you ever? Yeah. Mm. I hit three wood. I, I And I said to my, I remember speaking to myself, don't be in pocket. This isn't about making any cut. Don't be in pocket. <laughs> right? So I aimed a three wood over way right. So it wouldn't go into the ocean. Yes. And it, Unfortunately, went exactly where I aimed. Okay, but there was a little clump of grass between two bunkers. There was first cut, so it was sitting up. Like okay, five wood, longest five wood of my life, past the tree, way down there. <laughs> and I remember Scott Simpson turning to me and going, "Are you here in two? Yeah, like not. Yeah, of course, but uh, yeah, I guess I am. Now, huge gap, seven wood." Three wood, five wood, seven wood. Seven wood. <laughs> About 185. Sun, 430. You're kind of hitting. I hit it straight. I don't know if it's long, short, but it's not a hook into the ocean. And then I hear oh, uh, 10 feet. Okay. I didn't say one foot, I said 10, 12 feet. Oh my God. I'm there and like I'm putting for a birdie. Birdie. There's 10,000 people now. 
Bill takes the lady into the trap. This is 20 minutes. I'm looking at this part for 20 minutes, okay? Because <laughs> I'm inside everybody. They, they all play, and Bill has the crowd doing this thing. And, you know, and now I get over this putt for a birdie, which is an eagle, because you get a stroke, right? Right. Doug, I couldn't move. I look, If there was a can of WD-40, I would have gone for it. <laughs> I couldn't freaking move. And I don't know what got in me. I turned to the crowd, which was big. And I did one of these, like Bill had done. Bill there you go. I've been trying. They're clapping like a two-two pitch. We want a hit type of clap, right? Mm -hmm. And it went in. The birdie for eagle in front of ten thousand people to make the cut. I did the chi chi. Mm -hmm. um, it was as if I waited my life to play. It's my first one, and it's you're never going to have a moment like that again i'm sorry to take so much time but no no, you no. Can relate to that right like oh my good i was standing over the ball at a tournament in a, a good sized crowd not a pebble beach crowd and you know they do the big introduction at the first tee box like we do at travelers and everywhere else and i find myself standing over the ball and tightening up and i'm standing i'm like you got to be kidding me I, I can't swing the club i right? stepped back i did the happy gilmore got the crowd going i walked up i i didn't even set i walked up set for and hit and i actually hit a decent three wood but i know that feeling on a golf course it's, being out of out of our element it's something completely different. look even at the travelers which i played 30 times they announce your name on the first tee we have a nice crowd in hartford obviously yep. the travelers and before that the greater hartford open i mean we we mm -hmm. played in all of them i've topped it and it's gone <laughs> 10 feet into a little clump of grass between the blue and the white tee and i you look at it it's like i can't hit a driver i mean like i just want to leave. it's in six inches of grass now like 20 feet in front of you and the way i learned i didn't do this afterwards i learned what we should do if we ever do it even though there it is right in front of us say i don't think i can find that i'm going to hit a provisional <laughs> hit it and get the hell out of there. get out of the t-box area <laughs> i think i took a nine iron got it out and like i, I this is not going to be a good day so yeah. this isn't like i'm any great player i have my one good day at pebble and ever yeah. since the gods of golf said we gave you one now you're going to stink the rest of your life well it's, it's unbelievable memories and you and i've played together so many times at travelers and i appreciate you coming up to my golf tournament for me up in the boston area and all the things you've done for us with the foundation, none bigger than actually pulling out a box of Flutie Flakes <laughs> on the primetime show, which sent that off and running, made a lot of money for autism for us. So thank you so much, Chris Boomer. Uh, you are the man and love you to death. And thanks so much for taking all your time. Doug, I, I, great to be with you. You've got just all the accoutrements behind you, with, starting with the hat and sweetness, jersey, and Tom, the drums, though. That's, <laughs> we, ought, we ought to at least say, with any money, at the Travelers, Travelers I sang, and you played drums. Actually, right? if you can see it. Nice, Leonard Skinner. It is an official Leonard Skinner drum kit that was given to Wow. Me. Yeah. So well, that is, I've got, some, I've got some memorabilia now. I got some more musical memorabilia than, uh, than sports memorabilia. I, I do, too. That'll be our next podcast. I got, you know, we were... We're like that. You and I have been, quote, on stage a few times. Buffalo, yes. right? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Circling the wagons at Jim Kelly's golf tournament. Yeah. Well, listen, Absolutely. best to you and your family. Happy spring, everybody. Great to be with you, and I, I, I'll see you soon. Werewolves of Buffalo. Love you. <laughs> Well, I want to welcome in Eddie George. Eddie, obviously Ohio State, Heisman Trophy winner in 96, Rookie of the Year, four-time Pro Bowler, blah, 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 blah. The new endeavor, the new endeavor, Tennessee State Tigers, head coach, getting into college football. How you doing, Ed, and how busy have you been with this? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Doug. Can't complain. The month of April has just been a whirlwind for me. Um, I've jumped into coaching. Uh, jumping into the whole world, the business side, the 
fundraising, the recruiting, and the X's and O's. And I have to tell you, man, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but it's fulfilling because I'm truly trying to change the lives of a lot of kids. And uh, coaching is something that I never thought I'd do in my life. Uh, but being a father, um, I coach. Being a husband, I coach. Being in the business realm in terms of wealth management, I've coached. So now it comes full circle to where I'm coaching in my first love of football, and it's totally fulfilling. Well, I've the only coaching that I have is, uh, you know, I've done camps and I help kids and all that. And you really get this. It's the coolest feeling in the world when you you give them this little pearl and you say, hey, no, try it this way or show. And they go out on the field and they execute it. It's like the, the biggest rush. In the world. I'm coaching yeah. Little League right now. I had a nine-year-old get on the mound and throw one, a nine-year-old girl that we didn't even think could reach the plate, have a one, two, three inning. And it was like the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> what, if, what, if, what are the biggest surprises for you? Know, the other hats, the other end, the fun rates and all that other stuff. What is the biggest surprise to you in this job? Well, you know, Doug, honestly, um, it's not a big surprise um, because over the last 15 years, I've done fundraising for Ohio State. I've done, I do wealth management. That's an element of fundraising. So it's not difficult for me to show return on investment, not difficult for me to talk about uh, the story of why they're going to invest in this program. Um, looking at operations, uh, when I got my master's in business at um, Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, it was all about operations and efficiency and looking at other businesses. So really, you know, I sit in the position of a CEO over a football program and the X's and O's. Is, that's the, the, I'll tell you what, that's going to be the surprising thing for me is having been the warrior on the field in the heat of battle now to being a strategist and, and looking at, OK, saving my timeouts, time clock management. Um, knowing when to go forward on fourth down, knowing when to go for a two-point conversion, uh, running a fake uh, here, trying to get momentum. All of those things now that are that's easy for me to do from the analyst position or the court Monday quarterback position. Now I'm thrust in that position like, oh, my God, what do I do? Yeah, yeah, there's there, there's so, no hindsight on it now. It's it's in the moment. You got to make that decision. <laughs> you got to make that decision and live with it. So that, that's, been, that's been it, man. But um, – what surprised me is just how much fun I'm having uh, in putting this program together because it's really uplifting a university versus just a football program. So that's that's the uh, the goal. So you're in the middle of spring practice. Did you just wind up spring practice? Well, they they finished up their spring game. Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, their spring season. Okay. Uh, finished two and four, um, and then we we came in after that. So okay. right now I'm getting my arms wrapped around um, the current roster, uh, who's eligible this year, uh, trying to re-recruit our current roster and look at who's coming in this year and focusing on our 2022 class for next year. And what do you – last season, not a lot of us know a lot about Tennessee State. Tell us something about your football team. Wow. Um, well, I haven't really had a chance to spend a lot okay. of time with them because they're out of school. Okay. Uh, but uh, overall, the program has the bones to really be great, Doug. Um, they have an indoor facility that's been underused. Um, they, have a, 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 they have fields that are in great condition. Um, they have facilities that, that with the proper upgrading can be top-notch. Um, we're in a great city of Nashville, Tennessee that sells itself. So it's easy to come into, easy to leave. Um, and, and really this overall program at Tennessee State University, it's the tradition of great coaches, the tradition of, of um, great students, of entrepreneurs. You know, you talk about Oprah Winfrey is um, an alumni from uh, Tennessee State University. So, you know, it's, it has so many great bones that um, I just with the proper structure, the proper vision um, can really take this to another level where it can be sustainable. That's phenomenal. Yeah. We, I, when I think of Eddie George, I think of all the stuff that you've done since football that, you know, whether it's acting Broadway, uh, what, mm -hmm. what motivates you? I mean, and still everyone out there, 
Eddie is still rock hard. I mean, he could line up and hit somebody in the mouth today. He could still do it if he wanted to. Um, amazing athlete. Uh, what, what motivates you on a daily basis? What keeps you driven? Oh, man. Um, wow. The, I guess it's just, it's fascinating stepping back, stepping back and looking. Yeah. It, it fascinates me that you still want to put yourself out there on the stage, you know, to do, try new things. Well, you know, it was more or less my passion. I, I enjoy uh, being on stage. I enjoyed acting and I still do. I, I enjoy storytelling. Um, but, you know, you evolve into a role that I didn't expect. Um, and it took for someone else to see me as a head coach and to tell me that I think you'll be a great head coach and convince me of that. And I said, well, I've never coached a day in my life. <laughs> But the reality of it is, is that you talk about the stage, you know, and my my acting chops and what I had to do to become an actor. Well, the greatest thing to, to become an actor, the greatest thing you can do as an actor is to listen. And that's one of the greatest things you can do as a leader is to listen first, to understand and then be understood. And um, so everything that I've done up until this point has prepared me for this role as a head coach. You know, now I have to embody all that it takes to be a great leader to help this team win football games. Uh, what was, you know, along those lines, there's, you know, everything, there's, everything's going to be first time around and there's going to be fears. And what was some of your biggest fears when you were stepping on stage or, or putting yourself in front of an audience? Cause I, that I'm still fascinated with it. Number one, uh, forgetting my lines, mm -hmm. stage fright. That, and that's happened. That's happened several times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every, every new endeavor I've taken on, there has been a fumble. There has been literally a fumble when, mm -hmm. I, when I fumbled the ball versus Illinois in my freshman year at Iowa <laughs> State. I overcame that. I fumbled my lines on stage, uh, forgot a complete page of, 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 of dialogue, <laughs> and, uh, panicked, and walked off the stage. I overcame that. So to say that I won't have any setbacks as a head coach, that's probably going to happen. But I have to have the tenacity, the fortitude, uh, and the grittiness to overcome that and to learn from those mistakes. So um, fear is something that I have an acronym for almost everything is face everything and respond. That's what fear is, is to face it and respond. And, and that the only thing I can control is my attitude, my effort and my focus. And uh, that's how I've always uh, looked at life and, and, and opportunities to grow. Yeah. I've always looked at, you know, those situations as teaching you, to prepare because your failures or your, your, your fears, things that don't work out great, wind up, makes you work that much harder, makes you prepare that much harder. And it becomes a good example for the kids, you know, to, to go ahead and teach them to prepare. Uh, what is the next step? What's the, what's the next step for you there? As far as recruiting, is it? Well, the next step. Yeah. Next step is to um, round out the rest of my staff. Um, I have it, you know, 95% of the way done, get them onboarded, uh, get them here in town, get, um, our eyes on the current roster, see what's needed, see what needs to be upgraded within our roster. Uh, go look in the, um, uh, the, the portal, the transfer portal to see who we can identify mm -hmm. to help this team immediately and to get this, get these kids in a conditioning program. They've never had a, uh, summer conditioning program. In the last four years. Um, so that being said, this is going to be a culture shock, something new for this group uh, and bring them together. So it was time to grind, man. You know, the thing is that the motto is be comfortable being uncomfortable for the summer of 2021. <laughs> when their coach is out running them and running them in the ground and physical and beating them on the bench press and all that, you could, you could, I, I think you can set some examples there. No doubt. There's it's, it's going to be, well, that's why I'm trying to stay in shape, Doug. So I can get up on that 15 and, and press it out. Say, Hey, if this old man can do, do it, it. I'm pretty sure. sure you can do it. That's Hey, nothing like that. Nothing like being able to shine. And in fact, you were, um, you were my sidekick walking the red carpet at, at, at Tebow's tournament. You and I walk in arm in arm. You were my date. Looking, I was looking good hanging on your arm at Tebow's <laughs> tournament. That's a fun thing to get involved with. <laughs> How's your golf game? Do you play? Well, I just got finished talking with Chris Berman. We were talking about Pebble Beach and all that. How's your golf game? 
Yeah. You know, uh, as of right now, I hadn't played in two weeks, so probably went from being a 20 handicap to a 30 yeah. right now. <laughs> so, yeah, you're in my ball. Bro. I'm forever stuck in that 20 category. Uh, but, you know, I got to put my clubs up for a little while. Got to put the ball cap on and coach these kids. And anytime I can put a 56 degree in my hand, a wedge, <laughs> and work on, work on that short game, I want to do that around the office, around the house. Uh, around the campus, you know, just chip my way <laughs> and just working on my game in some capacity. Uh, but, you know, this has been an amazing year. You talk about Pebble Beach. Mm. I had a chance to play there uh, earlier this uh, month in April. Uh, Spanish Bay, Pebble Beach, and um, and uh, Spyglass. Yeah. And I thought oh, it is remarkable. <laughs> First time ever. Bucket list deal for me. Too cool. Hopefully, um, I have a chance to play a few more golf courses well, like that in the future. Well, we're gonna have to pick up the golf game a little bit to start schmoozing uh, some of the alumni and get the donations. So that's exactly. gonna be all part of it. So we got to keep it going. If you ever get another invite to Pebble Beach, I need an invite. I got to get out there. I have oh a, yeah, yeah. We got to get up. Well, you will probably try to go surfing. You oh yeah, I'll go out there. And I'll look at the waves and say the heck with. I'm gonna go out and surf. <laughs> How about the Heisman days? You know, we didn't get to do it last year and didn't get back and all that. Um, what are some of your fondest memories from, from your visits to New York with Heisman weekends? I, my favorite times are when we're all hanging out up in the uh, hospitality suite and some of Joe Bellino's stories and all that. What do, you, what do you think of when you think of Heisman Day? Oh, God. I think of um, Christmas time, Rockefeller Center. The uh, Broadway shows, the chill in the air, uh, the pizza spot right across the street from the hotel. <laughs> you know, that I always go get a slice of pizza, pepperoni slice. I want to go to the city. And it's a special time of the year, Doug, because that's when we're all together. The last game of the year is being played the day of the highs when the Army Navy mm. game. And we got something to talk about. We share stories and catch up on life. and. Um, it's so good to see guys walking in the room, smiling, and happy. And, you know, it's, those are the precious moments that I enjoy. You know, Archie Griffin told me two years ago, a few years ago when I won the Heisman. And in that moment when, we, when it was at the downtown athletic club, right after I won, I am in just complete and utter disbelief. Like, oh, my God, I, I'm a Heisman trophy winner. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> And he says to me in my ear, oh, it gets better than this. And I'm like, there's no way it gets better this moment. And lo and behold, every year you have a chance to relive your Heisman moment. Mm. You have a chance to bring in a new Heisman brother and to congratulate him and to warn him that, hey, your hand is about to be like this. He's going to have to sign all these balls. <laughs> That's after the weekend's over. That is the worst part of the weekend as a winner. As a winner, all the balls you're signing, poster, you name it, it just took you in a room. Now, we, we still go sign, what, a couple hundred balls? We go sign these balls all for each other. But the, the winner, man, they wear him out. It's you think, and you think, oh, I'm going to go hit the, the TV circuit. I'm going to go do these interviews with, you know, on Kimmel and, uh, Oprah and go, nah, I'm gonna sit right there, there and sign forever. <laughs> uh, my fondest, my fondest Best memory reward. Of Pete, Pete Dawkins and Joe Bellino has now passed away, but Army Navy game is that day and we're hanging out in the hospitality suite. And Pete would always get to the game and then get back. And, and there are some just great memories. And you and I are kind of joined at the hip now for the rest of our lives with the Heisman, uh, something that I treasure. I want to thank you for taking the time. You know, I know you're really busy as a head coach. You got all this going on right now. I uh, wish you all the best. And I got a new team to root for down by Nashville, Tennessee State. Absolutely. Hey, Doug, I'm going to send you like a Tennessee State jersey you can put up on your wall and a hat too you can wear for the show. Will do. Will do. I'll put it. You know what? It might have to replace Brady. Brady's had enough over there with Batman. Batman's tired. Yeah, he's, been, he's done enough. He's done enough. Yeah, he's got, he's got seven rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Ed. You take care. Good to see you. All right, man. Love you, man. Thanks again to Chris Berman and Eddie George for joining me this week. Um, moving into the offseason, it's been a fun year. Uh, taken from Super Bowl through the draft. 
Uh, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to we're going to start back up in August. Come August first, will uh, Aaron Rodgers still be in Green Bay? Will he be their quarterback? Will Mac Jones be the starter in New England? A lot of things to answer. Uh, a lot of questions will be answered throughout the off season. And excited to get back with you during training camp. And we will see you in August. The Flutie Flakes cast is available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. Remember, the Flutie Flakes cast is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Andrew Emmer and Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks for listening. SiriusXM Podcasts.